Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 317, Different Traditions of Indie Publishing. Presented by Jason Pitt, Fiona Geist, Darren Watts, and Vidicia Boletti. Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, Different Traditions of Indie Publishing uh, at Metatopia 2020. My name is Jason Pitt of Genesis of Legend Publishing, and I'm the person who's going to uh, be annoyingly saying the system matters. Uh, <laughs> next in line, Darren, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Darren Watts. Um, I am, I guess, most well known for formerly being the president and owner of Hero Games and publisher of Champions. Um, I also used to own uh, and was president of Indie Press Revolution. So I've kind of had uh, a foot in both trad publishing and, uh, you know, early story game publishing. Uh, I got out of the owning things business about 10 years ago and work pretty much only freelance now. Uh, since then, I've worked on Star Trek, Doctor Who, and I'm currently working primarily for Greater Than Games. Uh, Fiona. Hmm. Oh, God, sorry. Uh, hi, I'm Fiona Maeve Geist. I'm mostly known for working on Mothership, and I'm a purchasing officer for Exalted Funeral, so I look for independent games to buy wholesale for a storefront. If you are interested in doing that, you should contact me in some way, usually on Twitter, where I'm at Coiling Oracle, and I promise that like I'm not as horrible as my Twitter seems. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, and uh, I'm Viditia. Um, I am an <laughs> indie publisher. Uh, boy, wait. <laughs> One second. <laughs> I, uh, I released a bunch of my games on Itch, um, and I've also done work on various indie Kickstarters, uh, writing for them, and uh, uh, yeah, it's, that's a lot. That's a lot of me. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So the core question of this game of this panel is what is indie and what are the different sort of schools and generations and hashtags associated with the various uh sub communities of indie publishing because right. we all come at it from very from similar but different places mm -hmm. with different communities and different expectations so um we're going to go at this roughly chronologically. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's start off with Darren. Um, okay. What, are, what is your what indie? Is, my indie is, uh, it's not a, a genre of games at all. 
In fact, it uh, it covers a wide genre of games, and I am always it's always kind of a personal bugaboo of mine when people use it to mean story games or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because from a uh, you know from from like a financial from a business perspective, literally everybody who is not D and D or maybe Pathfinder and maybe one or two other companies occasionally um, is effectively indie. Right. I mean, you know, by the standards that you would use for indie film or indie music or indie comics or something like that, the idea that like if the company is owned uh, internally is not a corporate, uh, you know, kind of like master, but like the people who are doing the creating are the owners and managers of the property, um, that they are the ones who, who benefit from the work, who profit from the work, uh, you know, and and that there is not a kind of like traditional uh means of distribution that is entirely successful for what they do right that kind of definition of indie like i said pretty much includes by population 99.9 percent of our quote-unquote industry right um so i try to always separate yeah what's that who is not indie? Who is not indie? Right, D and D is not indie. Right, like by the, once again by this definition, uh, you know, indie D and D is not indie. Um, Pathfinder probably is not indie. Uh, you could make a pretty good argument that maybe Vampire isn't. You know, like something that's got the the size to have. If if you've got a marketing department, you know, <laughs> then you're probably really not indie. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you've got a marketing person. You know, some of us have like managed to actually, you know, like get get one person in there. But if you've got more than one person doing your marketing, you're probably not indie. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, that's more of a that it's more of a style, right? That's more of a indie is how things get sold, how things get made and sold. Not a genre of design, not a genre of like the way that a game actually works. Any kind of game design can fit under the umbrella of indie. And so I always try to have people kind of like be more definitive than just using the term of I'm an indie designer, right? Like, or, or this is an indie game. Um, there's a lot more that I want to know about that. The, the, the term itself is too vague to be useful, except when you are describing how it is, how it's processed and how it's sold as a product. Mm-hmm. So, you know, trad is within, fits within indie, OSR fits within indie, story games fit within indie, lyric games fit within indie. I mean, these are all just, uh, you know, different ways that's, there, there's a lot more information that you need beyond the one word to, to really know anything about a game. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's always the edge cases of like, how about Monty Cook? Mm-hmm. How, how right. about well, you know, yeah. At 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 yeah. their heights, right? There's a there there are a number of companies that you could kind of like move up depending on where you want to cut that line, where the edge I mean, cave is, right? Chaosium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At at its height, uh, Hero Games uh, had eight employees, right? Is that was that Rick's big enough? Got a not video game. <laughs> sure. Uh, Champions got a video game. We didn't have, you know, we waved at it as it went by. We didn't make it ourselves, but you know. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, but once again, you, you we, that's just a question of like where you draw that line, and you anybody can draw that line for their own purposes anywhere they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough to argue. Most other industries will laugh at you if you say that a company is a big company because it's got ten employees, <laughs> right? Yeah. Within the game industry, having ten employees means you're a big deal. You know, big power wielding operation. Yeah. So my personal. Um definition of indie like on that side like 
within the big envelope is do you have multiple salaried employees? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like I said, then then but in that case, okay, then you, you then you like one, drop that line a little. Yeah. If you have one person who can make their living right. on like I said, at its height, Hero had eight. What the biggest it ever was, we had eight salaried employees for it. And you know, by by a lot of people's standards, that made us a huge company. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was Green Run Green Running has four right now, right? I mean, and then several part-time people. Hmm. So yeah. um, the scale is hilarious and sometimes because you know, can I earn as much as McDonald's as a McDonald's right, yeah. worker? Is seriously, are you in the big time or not? <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the one what? one way that we used to break it, and I don't want to take up space from everybody else here for it, but one way that it used to be broken was uh, when we would talk to Fred Hicks that whether or not Evil Hat had outgrown its indie. Uh, you know, kind of like trappings, right? Like it's in the beginnings. And the argument was made to Fred that if uh, if Alliance floors your product, you're not indie anymore, right? Like that was literally the definition, you know, of uh, it, do do, seri- do real distributors take you seriously huh. uh, and treat you like a serious company? And then, you know, when Dresden Files kind of like fell off and Evil Hat's sales, you know, kind of like dropped down a level again for this, it's like, could you return to being indie? For, you know, you were like not indie for six months, and then you were again suddenly. I mean, it's a it's a weird uh, it's a weird term to use definitionally. So, yeah, definitely. So, um, I'm speaking from sort of the next generation. I'm coming. <laughs> I started with the late Forge period, and you know, I dug back into the early catalog because I I wanted to learn game design. Um, so I was in the forge to storygames.com era, um, uh, both of which had a lot of problem innovations as well. Like there was a lot of good that came out of them and a lot of bad. There was a lot of lot. Um, so a lot of the story games, uh, Things that are now currently labeled as Forge games or Story games, um, up to and including the Powered by the Apocalypse games, uh, all came from that tradition. And some of the key elements that sort of define the tradition is the... Uh, this is the first wave of, hey, you can print on demand, you don't need to mortgage your get a second mortgage on your house uh, to print do an offset print run of 10,000 books. Look, PDFs are a thing. You can sell them. <laughs> um, uh, look, you can design games that are about things. Not just a, how can we reskin D&D, except it's cyberpunk. Right. Um, like, it, it was I, a, I didn't come here to be insulted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I know, no. This is Jason and I have had this argument for 10 years. In your cyberpunk. Yeah. It's not a 100% requirement. <laughs> um, but, um, so yeah, uh, we came out of that tradition and saying things like, oh, you say that this game is about storytelling. Where do you tell stories? <laughs> um, so that's uh, some of the history coming behind it. So we were... Um, we there was, there was. Of, I like, think in that time there was a there was a big embracing of like of that kind of like DIY ethos for it, right? Yep. That, that 
the same kind of thing that happened with with punk right of we are trying to cut out the middleman between us and the and the the, the customer right that like we are we are we're going directly to them right our, our sales are are by hand our sales are you know on this new thing we call the internet and uh you know we don't we don't need any any middlemen any buyers or anything to like stand between us and our customers um which like i said the music industry went through in the 70s you know that they, they did it 25 oh, yeah. years before we did so uh we also jumped headfirst into kickstarter first yep mm-hmm. we were like oh my god this is good yes jump now um so we were all there like a lot of us were there on day one because sure. it was we were used to okay can we manage to get a uh print on demand print run with two pieces of art okay wait right. you mean we can get money ahead of time for this sweet we, let's make games and make right. let's make weird games you know weird for the time um games like uh my life with master which is a game that has a defined end period um or uh a game like bacchanal where you don't actually really have rules for violence so much as you have rules for sex Uh Mm -hmm. like there was or the romance trilogy which was amazing Sure. Like there, it was yeah, a lot of shooting like, the moon. Movies. Absolutely, it was uh, shooting the moon was the first indie game I think I ever bought. So, yeah. So that, that's sort of my uh, section of the tradition. Uh, so I think next in line is Fiona. Um. Yeah, I came out of RPGs from other weird things, so I sort of didn't endear myself in the OSR insofar as I said it wasn't real because there's no one that's written a Dogma ninety five document. Explaining how you make a product and prove that it's OSR because, like, I can go download Lars von Trier's shooting guide and I can say that Lars von Trier treated it, like, cheated it by, like, you know, covering a window to make artificial lighting to make a shot better. But, like, I can at least say that, like, the overwhelming spirit of this law was followed because there's not really anything that ever linked a lot of these things together. Like, there were trad games and there were people that were doing weird art stuff with very minimal rules and there were things that looked like, you know, to talk about people that I don't work for and explicitly try to do that, you know, um, I think Nightmares Underneath is a good example of a game that had a lot of different systems and was trying to do something interesting and, like, got called OSR um, or Paulo Greco when they did, like, Chthonic Codex, which is, like, you know, sad wizard gay grad school where you wander around looking for herbs and, like, probably your advisor gets you killed. Um, You know, like, is very different from, you know, like the sort of tent pole of that around the Ennies with like Lamentations, who was an early adopter of high quality production runs and um, uh, engaging in extremely baiting behavior and using negative marketing. And like I could do an endless list of things that they did wrong. And I think everyone's well aware of them. But like, mm. you know, uh, they also figured out that like, making a nicer looking book sometimes got people to buy the book who wouldn't buy it otherwise. And then that became kind of a a race between the justification of like selling a $50 book and like making a $50 book, um, you know, of questions of function and form of how can I play this? Um, and, you know, I'm interested in a lot of the independent movements. Um, that sort of are people trying to do stuff. Shit, wait, are 
Oh, sorry. I thought I was talking over you. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, um, you know, uh, am mostly interested in things like production side questions of how do you pay an artist equitably? <laughs> um, what is a good working relationship to have with people? How do you make playtesting become something that's not done because you fuck a SR when like, you know, for business reasons, they fired all of their playtesters essentially and hired, you know, people that were doing paid by the word writing to do writing and editing on the grounds that like it kind of works like a movie script and kind of doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, which is why I think people should read old things. You know, like Deadlands had a fucking celebrity endorsement. Bruce Campbell wrote a personal endorsement for the fucking book in the intro. I forgot if this is a conference where I can swear. I'm sorry. I am like a classless. <laughs> I, think, I think we established uh, we're PG 13. So now that you've used up our swear, the rest of us can't do it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I am uh. the swear authoritarian, <laughs> but I'm going to pass this before I screw up even further. <laughs> the good news is we can have as much violence as we want, though. Yeah, violence okay. is acceptable. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, if you're passing it on, so my, um, so I, I've been, I've been publishing games uh, by myself for about two years now. I guess uh, I'm about to hit two years. So, like, I'm pretty new to the scene, which is really fun. But um, I have a des I have like a degree in game design. So like me coming into the indie like RPG scene and game design is not like from nowhere. Like I've spent years like leading up to this and like working on this. So it's I think there's like that's I, I mentioned this mostly because I think there's like an interesting trend that I'm seeing that now like game design is a professional um avenue like from higher education is becoming a mm -hmm. thing that's more and more common that I feel like all of y'all or like not like anything but like you know it's like it just wasn't a thing it wasn't available to us ago. no yeah, exactly so Dude, if, if if i had if i could have taken a game design course in college i absolutely would have in the 80s but mm -hmm. you know it was yeah so not, so not if gary gygax could have talked down to you about making gary gygax's well, he vision did, wrong he, he did that like, any, he did that anyway we just did that you could have you know, paid for it though <laughs> right, I know. Paid for it. exactly uh, spent way too much money for that uh, <laughs> but um so that, that's why i want to mention that, that that's like a whole new avenue of like coming into uh design and publishing and stuff like that uh especially as like and then uh i basically treat myself as a freelancer uh who also just has their own web store and is able to push out my stuff uh like kind of like an artist I, I like to think about like this kind of era era is we're all artists in like an artist like uh collective is the word i was looking mm -hmm. for um yeah so like and then uh i specifically when i was like leaving college and was like okay i want to start like putting my work online and like figuring out how to uh get my stuff out there um i kind of shopped around at different stores and storefronts and i chose itch because it seemed like the most accessible uh and so that's kind of like where that happened and i joined around the time of like the big itch boom uh that occurred and so that's i guess uh at least like my like how how i started to think about it and so like uh i'm still kind of thinking about like what i consider indie that you asked before and uh uh 
there it's weird like i i feel like i'm in a weird place because the definition of it is so outside of uh like it just kind of like seems to have occurred like way before I did. So I was like, well, I'm an indie designer because I guess I am right. Like I'm, or like, right. or, or it's more like I know indie when I see it, it's the same thing with art, right? Where it's like, I know art when I see it, it's like, I know indie when I see it. So there is, and it does shift in weird ways, but like, I feel like my definition of it changes maybe based on my mood a little too much, but also like, uh, but also definitely is like, Oh, I have like, I'm like, I, you know, like a bunch of itch people are like, like, you know, weird solo designers and stuff like that. Or we collaborate every once in a while and things like that. But then, uh, but then I like think about like Chaosium and things like that and, or like White Wolf and I'm like, or, or even like Monty Cook, like you mentioned those. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know anymore. You know, like, I guess. (laughs) Right. Uh, Once again, it depends on what you're using the word for, I think. Right. mm -hmm. Like, are you talking about how the thing is sold? If if you're talking about how it's made, I hate using it. If you're talking about how it's sold and how it's, how it's it's talked about distributed, then it's, I think it's got to use. There's yeah. Like, so like distribution is like a whole other thing that I, I, I've had to think about and like figure out (laughs) like moving forward and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, like what it means to like work with a publisher and stuff like that is still a whole, like it's like a whole other spectrum because like I no longer have, or I guess like me, but I'm I'm talking about my era or whatever. Uh, It's just like, it's very easy to just be like, well, I've made a thing and here you go. Like it's out there and I can like, and there's a good chance of it being seen or bought or whatever. Right. Uh, The, 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 (laughs) the landscape's a little different. Yeah. I, I think that's, part of why I focus so much on labor issues, right? Mm -hmm. Is it's something I can quantify, right? Like I can say this person pays freelancers a living wage. This person doesn't pay freelancers a living wage or like this person provides equity, right? Like this person is providing royalties to artists or is not using a contract that involves signing over all of their rights in perpetuity or is paying them for reprints. And like, I know that like talking about money is always unpopular because it makes people say that you're greedy. But my counterpoint is it's possibly greedier to give people a lopsided contract they don't understand and then take money that they theoretically are entitled to under most standard issue contracts, um, which is, you know, how I draw that line. And also I think, you know, pushes into the thing I don't know how to qualify as indie or not is sort of the contemporary equivalent of a unity asset flip, right? Like, (laughs) Many uh-huh. people are independent designers on Steam. Many people are independent designers on Steam because they buy an asset kit and they make a sandbox and using pre-generated elements that someone else made in a sandbox that they kind of created, they say that, like, this is, you know, um, my work. And then you can kind of ask questions like, well, how much of this is your work or what is a generic work or what does make indie? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that sometimes helps because you could start qualifying it as, like, well... It, it'll also lead you into writing endless lore, um, mm-hmm. right? To right. try to make things perfect. I'm, I'm really kind of curious. I, I want to go back to a thing that you mentioned earlier, Fiona, which was that when you were talking about how um, how Lars von Trier had made Dogma 95 um, and had kind of, you know, like hard-coded his understandings and his expectations for, you know, like if you want to be part of this movement, this is what you have to kind of like, you know, buy into, mm-hmm. right? 
And um, it's interesting to me that I have seen, you know, like several locations relatively recently uh, and largely through like the Itch.io um, uh, format for this uh, of like groups of designers who are doing that same sort of thing. Right, yeah. who have kind of like adopted that out of the art world, out of the film world, and everything, and mm -hmm. and applying that, and I think that's awesome that like we've brought that over for right. But yeah. the idea that the idea that like the you know the lyric games community has like their kind of like a you know not really a manifesto, but kind of their list of things. And then I, I mm -hmm. literally just before this panel was reading the Sword Dream. Oh list. yeah. Right, kind of thing for it. The very kind of like specific, which yeah, is yeah. fabulous. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm delighted to see I that. And to the extent that we didn't have that, you know, that kind of like organization or, you know, Jason and I can both, you know, refer back to the closest we had to that was the Forge, right? Was mm -hmm. the, the, the fact that we, we had gone through this discussion and had kind of like basically all agreed for now, you know, for the time to use Ron's words, you know, mm -hmm. and use Ron's definitions and fight about Ron's definitions basically meant that there was at least a physical place. And that was a breakthrough as somebody who, you know, was doing this before the forge can say, you know, like at the time that was a huge change for us, right? Like to, mm -hmm. to, to see that happening um, as an artistic movement, right? To kind of like recognize this as something other than hack work. So oh, uh, you're, hang muted. On, you're, you're muted, Jason. You're muted, Jason. Yeah, having terminology of any Jason, kind. you're muted. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. We didn't, you know, none, none of that existed when we were doing it, right? Like, so what is currency? Right. What is a scene? What's agency? Right. Yeah. Like what's what agency? Like, agency? These right. are yeah. things that did not exist prior to the emergence of the forge. Right. So we were all. Just well, I mean, like, obviously oh, they did. We did. just we just talked about it really badly because it, we did yeah. not agree what we were talking about. We all kind of understood the ideas, but we didn't have the vocabulary. You know. So, so. in in Call of Cthulhu, these are your brain hit points. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right, or I mean, you know, like I, once again, I don't want to, I, I don't want to diminish what, for example, what Paul did with his. But I mean, when you when you talk about story games beginning with my life with Master, my hackles go up because I'm kind of like Amber Diceless would like to have a word with you, you know, <laughs> over here, right? So uh, I mean, there's yeah. the these the that you can't ever kind of like just pick one person and say this is where something started right there's always you know like an influence behind them or you know things and i would actually argue that the first game that we could posthumously welcome into the story games fold was actually traveler sure yeah um no, because I, I just want to check fiano are you frozen no okay there you are I was, um, you were kind of robotic no, for a second I okay just, I sit still like a robot. Don't worry. Oh, I just wanted to <laughs> the, make sure. the screens on here do occasionally freeze for a little bit, but it usually we you can like I haven't seen the audio break, uh, but mm. the video occasionally like holds up for a bit. So sorry. Um, so the reason why I'm saying traveler, no, no, it's fine, is because of just for the audience who might not be aware of it, traveler is notorious for the game where you can die in character creation. Mm -hmm. There's a real good reason for it. It's actually a game about the Vietnam War. Right. It's a game where uh, you go into military service, and if you came out, you're likely disabled, desperately poor, trying to make your way. Uh, you've learned some skills, but not the right skills for a life outside of the military service. Um, like, there's the Traveler's Aid Society. 
as like a core yeah. asset you can get. You right. get charity for a uh, exactly a you can be a veterans organization. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh. Oh. So like I I yeah. Once again, if if your definition of a story game is it includes a cool, interesting central metaphor that not everybody grasped, uh, then you can you know like define them a, a lot of different ways. I mean, I think most people would put Traveler still kind of like solidly in the trad tradition, if only because it is so immersion, uh, you know, centered kind of thing, right? And does not kind of like give you much of an opportunity to step outside your character to affect a story. Um, I mean, arguably, yeah, it, like, Tecamel, look, it was an entire system of fantasy and including a dying world that was made without reference to occidental histories. Like, none right. of the language groups are occidental, none of the history is occidental. Sure. Um, M.A.R. Baker is... Uh, to be clear, you know, a linguistics scholar who is a white Muslim convert, but like, you know, he definitely tried to use history of groups he knew a lot about to make a very weird world, and no one really enjoyed it very much because they had to learn a lot and understand the other cultures. <laughs> no. Everyone fucking hates that. Yeah, but the people who did, boy, the, the people for whom it hit, it hit hard, so... Yeah, it's yeah. great. I I'm a strong supporter of that as like an early indie, you know, even though sure. it was sold by TSR, but TSR set up a financial arrangement so that it was actually against the interests of comic stores and stuff to stock it. Which is maybe a good example of what is indie is um people with professional access are trying to not help you succeed. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's and pretty, pretty good. Was actually Sorry, I see Tecamo as a precursor to the OSR community. Like, it's a, like, no, we're going to take your basic foundation, and we're going to take a radically different approach. We're going to, like, we'll we'll take the same core mechanical bits, but we're going to take take it for a wild ride that's very different from your standard expectations. Right. That's an interesting connection. I had not made that one before, but I like that. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's no horses. There's just hippos. Right. And because there's hippos, like, oh, forms of slavery, because they need porters everywhere, and it, no free it, person will walk for miles carrying pounds of stuff, and therefore the country is, like, incredibly draconian, and, you know, it's also because hippos are hard to domesticate, and also there's not a lot of wood. So, like, yeah, there's reasons for every horrible thing there, and they're naturalistic, and, you know, they can get into questions of, like, was this appropriate, but... It's the second role-playing game. It's right. at least, I think, very interesting that way. Um, yeah, sorry. As a, as a remix of somebody else's rule set, though, for it, it's kind of an interesting look for it. It doesn't have, I mean, what, what, it, what it's missing from the OSR is that kind of like fruitful void of we're intentionally not making rules to cover things that we know are going to come up in the game because we want you to, you know, to the extent that the OSR is on is purposeful about that, right? So, uh-huh. and not not everybody in the OSR is. So, I'm, uh, like, I'm hesitant uh, to make a sweeping step about that. But, uh, Viditya, what would you think might be a precursor to the modern itch uh, style game? I'm trying I to have think a theory. About that. I'm I, so I, I like I'm, I really think about that a lot because I feel like. Um, I, I, so th- this is this is more personal and i know this isn't for everybody on itch but it's like there is i think a 
uh well actually I, th- I think this has to do with a lot of say like sword dream which became like a bit like became a night a good like print set of principles for a lot of itch mm-hmm. designers um is uh kind of uh screw categorization to a degree sure. um yep. and also like decentralize um it's this idea of like well you know itch is not a place where like an ideology is discussed it is a place where ideas are shared in a way or like or a codified i guess is the word is it's not like where an ideology is codified uh it is just a place where ideas are shared and so like because of that um i think like the precursor to the itch games is almost like uh this is all like interesting and you know like we should and like there is a big like okay well because i can kind of just put anything out there um and it's very easy to do that. It's like, I'm going to slap together uh, a small hack, uh, like a, a sketch, basically, or like an idea, a design, and throw it out there. Uh, it's less like the, like this one thing kind of led towards uh, a greater uh, like movement and more like we uh, or me and other people are like, well, all of this existed. Um, and like, how do we kind of break break it up? You know what I mean? Right. Not, yeah. Like, cause like, so I think it's like it's like there's a bunch of baggage to game design. Um, do we need it all? Uh, or like, do we need to? Do each of us need to be carrying it all the time? I think is a more better way to put it. it, it, it how, how does that sound? <laughs> yeah. No, I like that. And and that's a that's a, a reflection of the yeah. lowering or destruction of the barriers to entry that have traditionally existed in this. Mm-hmm. As, as an art form, right? I mean, it was, you yeah. know, you, you couldn't, you could create all you wanted, but nobody could see your creations uh, unless you had access to the audience. Exactly, yeah. That was not available until, you know, like a series of things had to happen, most notably the internet first, as somebody who remembers what it was like doing this before the internet, right? Um, <laughs> right. So, right, yeah. you know, and then like each step that along the way, that was kind of like a new barrier to entry falling that allowed more people uh, from more backgrounds with the with a uh, more you know like kind of like diverse collection mm-hmm. of uh, experiences could come together and just you know like find mm-hmm. their own audiences right like you couldn't find an audience for your product if you weren't willing to do a ten thousand copy hard copy print run mm-hmm. you know in nineteen ninety four right there was just no other way to actually access that yeah and so we are only just now I think coming to grips with the changes that our art form has has made ava- has been made available to us right in uh, in doing that and that's part of what's so exciting to mm-hmm. me as an old-timey designer to see these you know kind of like movements and these locations ha- you know happen and 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 open up around us I'm, i i couldn't be that that since those barriers have never been lower it's never been more exciting to see yeah. what's coming in right it's it's absolutely gives okay. me life you know to like I, see I all this cool stuff happening uh, I know, like a lot of uh, Southeast Asian designers, like the mm-hmm. whole RPGC movement, is uh, able to thrive and converse because uh, because of like you know, like oh, this is like there is uh, the barrier so low uh, because they're like, hey, you know, like now we don't need to worry about uh, <laughs> you know, like finding groups or whatever. It's right, like yeah. now coexist in a way, uh, and other like international people. Uh, uh, I see like other international groups and designers uh, who maybe like aren't as 
comprehensive as RPGC coming out. And sure, and well, Jason play. brought his uh, the you know entire collection of French designers to yeah. Metatopia, you know, as a group. Yeah. Uh, we've yeah, got yeah. a cohort coming from uh, here at Metatopia from Mexico City. Mm -hmm. uh, we have an entire set of people from Scotland. I mean, there's you know, it's we're bounced it's cool, all, yeah. know, all over the place. It's very, it's very exciting. Once again, it's you know. Mm -hmm. It sucks that we're not able to do this show in person like we usually do, but like you know, making lemons lemonade out of the lemons that we got from this, it's great that we've been able to open up this show in particular to such a global operation, right? Like exactly, it's you know, yeah. okay, we can't all get you to you know New Jersey, but we are going to introduce you, American audience, to some really awesome shit that's going on down in you know the in the Philippines, right? And it's, mm -hmm. let's uh, let's at least do that. So and I I actually think there. Are we can unpack some of that. Uh, so mm -hmm. as time progressed, the geographic scope of the designer community seems to be increasing as well. Yes. So, but like, a lot of these things, a lot of these games literally started through direct viral transmission from Lake Geneva. Mm -hmm. um, and the early designers were pretty much all American, with the exception of, like, Games Workshop and a few things that sort of spilled out there. Mm -hmm. um, and it started Games to... Games Workshop were the direct employees. <laughs> we lost Sorry? you there, Fiona. The yeah, you're... important part of game design is when you run White Dwarf and you're supposed to write a positive review. Oh. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> in the rules, it's like, hey, I hate everything. Am I coming in? Um, you're, no, you're, it was just that. Yeah, it, you were you were scattered there for uh, a minute. It was just for a second. Oh, just um, you know, Games Workshop also continues the, you know, um, have your kind of party organ papers shut down by TSR for writing a negative review, and right. then write Games Workshop's like entire sort of like piss poor fantasy world as like a bitter ex-employee thing at your former boss um sure. which is you know the grand tradition of game design is your bitter ex-employees become the next indie spite, <laughs> spite is an amazing motivator absolutely true um, Always so been. there's actually a hilarious story in the book D uh, designers and dragons um which everyone should check out uh it's currently published by evil hat right um and Shannon uh, is mom. absolutely yeah it's about um, the initial interaction between uh, 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 TSR and Games Workshop. Both of them were pretending that they were these big businesses and were sending them out of our, their basements or garages. Yep. Um, so it was literally uh, like Games Workshop because they wanted to, uh, I think it was like in a workshop. Yeah, uh, or something along yeah. those lines. Like Absolutely. they wanted to make it sound like they were a real big thing, so that they get get licensing and uh, sell D and D. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, no. Since day one, yeah, everyone's been indie. Function. It was hard to get polyhedrals in oh, yeah. the UK for a long time. Really? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, I didn't well, know that. I mean. Polyhedrals were invented. Yeah, they Ooh, yeah. existed. They were for hobby to, to hobby stores and stuff. So not all of them. Wow. Uh, that's the thing. The first polyhedrals were um oh god, what's his name? You know the creator of the Zed something. Uh Bluzaki. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Right, but Luzaki, his his first customers that made him made it actually worth it his time to actually go into large production of them were um, model trains. So, right. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on the early side of things that are quite interesting. Um, so I think the other thing is there's also been a diversification of how what kinds of games are acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, I, I think it's safe to say that um, Darren's Indie produced a wide <laughs> variety of very interesting 8.5 by 11 uh, books. Yes. Sure, fair. Yeah. Um, the Story Games crew innovated and got the 6 by 9 and we have PDFs. <laughs> Uh, OSR, I think, was the first one published, that really my, my first so, PDF product yeah. I published was in 2002. Yeah. Wow. So, like, I think zines literally started off of from the OSR and really? a lot of yeah. other similar. Notion. Well, again, once Mixed again, zines, zines were rediscovered by the by the yeah, OSR yeah. for I, zines. Yeah. Zines being a thing that existed in the 70s, you know, like out once again out of comics and and art movements. Yeah. So, I mean, but in the 90s commercialized they were used sure. as a accepted commercial practice of producing games in that right exactly they were taken seriously as art which and our were original generation of them were not they so. were not taken seriously in the story games generation right and oh. now digital only is a thing that exists mm-hmm. and the idea of oh i'm i'm sorry oh, no this game is never going to be actually physically produced it's just going to be a digital pdf Right. Fun. Yeah. That was that was unrecognizable from where we were. Huh. Absolutely. And and once again, it's beautiful. It should be, yeah. right? And it's it's great that we are taking full advantage of those changes, of the technological change, of the cultural change that has gone with that to advance the art, right? Or to, you know, expand the art, right? Um, in some cases, that advancement of the art or that expansion of the art means taking a step back and looking at older material with a new eye or looking at influences uh, from other art forms or whatever and kind of, you know, like figuring out how to, I mean, game gaming in general is such an acquisitive genre Right, that it can accommodate all of these different things and bring in pieces of it. For example, my favorite of those being is that currently is lyric games. Mm-hmm. Is the idea yep. that you know, like this is this is a game that is about, uh, you know, not about a story, not about a character, but about a moment, right? Like, but about mm-hmm. a, about an idea, a feeling, uh, you know, a concept, uh, you know, like whatever it is to have this kind of, uh, as as you know, like the it, lyric instead of epic, right? Like as a term for mm-hmm. for poetry, right? Um, basically has allowed the gaming movement around it to kind of like readopt shit that Yoko Ono was talking about 50 years ago. Right. I mean, that's, that, that's wonderful that that's happening. Right. Like this, you know, mm-hmm. that, that we have, that we've got room for that now, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think like that's something I, like talking about like the evolution of what the medium can do is what uh, genuinely excites me. And like, if I can do anything, uh to say like for indie publishing is like i think now is the time that uh you can really do whatever you want like it's it's a fun time to explore and break it uh especially because of like 
again, like, you know, like the, the various platforms now kind of let you do that. Like, uh, you know, games like uh, the, this, this Discord has ghosts in it um, mm-hmm. is a, yes. a role playing game sure. uh, that can only exist on a Discord server, right? Like, it is designed to, to be played there. Um, similarly, like, you know, like, uh, I, I guess again, to, to buff up itch a little bit, but like, because it was initially a digital games platform, um, it has like HTML integration. And I know like people run Twine games on there or like run generators and stuff, right? So it's like, hey, it's a game that like now has a little bit of digital integration. Uh, that, that's like cool. And like, so this, this like evolution of the games that are able to be published uh, or, Maybe not, maybe not able to be published because I feel like all of these games have been being made. It's just now is like they can find an audience. They yeah. can find an audience well, is like a thing, right? Well, the thing is, PDFs literally started at a certain point in time. Oh yeah, like, like there, sure, there right. was there are actual technical technological hurdles that you could not have made uh, a PDF game. Uh, before 1998, 99 or whatever. I, I, yeah, I, I guess right, like the, so. the difference is like I've talked to I've talked to maybe uh, well it's more like like I've talked to game designers um, who or or just other artists like I, I went to an art school and so like I would talk to like illustrators or animators or sculptors and stuff like that and they would like in, they would introduce interaction into their work uh, and I would tell them they made a game and they're like oh I didn't really think about that. Uh, right. You know what I mean? And and like, so that's why I think it's like, maybe even it is kind of, I, I think like, uh, it's like a little like dangerous to say, um, you know, this started here uh, when, oh. or like, or I, I guess, I, I guess the language should shift a little bit where it's like, uh, it became something that the public, that like the, the industry recognized yes. rather right. than uh, it didn't exist until. Oh, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's that is absolutely the right distinction. It mm-hmm. became normalized at this point in time. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, you could trace back roots, and people like Shannon doing that are, you know, like a, a delight and joy to the industry forever. Mm-hmm. But that the, those roots still are, you know, they're not the plant, right? Like the, you know, there's there's, there's a flower on top of those roots, and let's you know, like make sure burrows. we kind of like pay attention to that. So, mm-hmm. bunnies and burrows is a thing. Sure. I did a panel last night where Ken said that the first lyric game ever was Call of Cthulhu. And that started a fabulous 10 minute argument about, uh, you know, that like oh, the, yeah, the, yeah. the moment, the moment of insanity or whatever is like the key goal of, of, of Call of Cthulhu, right? Like the moment of like encountering the numinous is in fact actually like the core conceit of Call of Cthulhu. And we were all just like, blah. And then immediately started arguing about it, right? Which yeah, is yeah. exactly what you want from that kind of like high high horse pronouncement, you know? Okay, and it's like I'm not even sure I believe this, but let's argue about it anyway, you know? So well, it's like you could just do a hack where negative sanity isn't going mad; it's just attaining gnosis into the fact right, that yeah. the elder gods are right. And right, there, exactly. I just made it into cult and also made it go on longer. Well, also mm-hmm. you yep. made it into. Um... Uh, what's the name of um, Graham Walmsley's uh, uh, game? Which one? Uh, the the Cthulhu game where it's, a, it's like a very simple like oh one the dark Cthulhu one. Dark or whatever that Cthulhu is dark, yeah. yeah yeah right oh. it's literally that right yeah just making making yeah. Cthulhu into a pure story game right. But I love mm-hmm. the idea that like he'd gone beyond story game that specifically into lyric right like that this is oh, yeah know, yeah 
this is this is a game about a moment, and everything that you do in the rest of the game is yeah. to create that moment. So hmm. the thing that I love doing is looking at it. So there is always a spectrum from most uh, traditional to most indie. Mm -hmm. And I love that the most innovative line just keeps on running over time, and it just keeps sure. getting yeah. farther and farther. Um, yeah, right. The the point when I realize, oh, I'm static, and I'm at like the middle of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, was when I uh, read um, um, a real game by Orabel, which I'm not is familiar with that one. So won the Indie Groundbreaker Award the first year as okay. Game of the Year. Because it is a... I don't know if it's a one-player or a zero-player game, mm -hmm. but you are role-playing as a role-playing game that has imposter syndrome. Um, <laughs> and it's saying, am I a real game? Cut holes in me, put me over another game. Am I better now? <laughs> and it's like... It, you are literally role-playing okay. as a role-playing game with, okay. uh, in an existential crisis. Oh. I went okay. somewhere around that one. Right? Yeah, fascinating. I don't remember the one. That's weird. That's weird for me. <laughs> That's sure. awesome. Keep going weird. More right. of that, please. We, I'm going to take this moment to to check in with our, uh, you know, with our with our home base here and see because I can't see any questions on this. Jason, have you got the the question line? Yeah, there? I don't, actually, I don't we... see many questions right now, uh, other than okay. uh, the obvious uh, uh, itch squad and uh, a lot of the enthusiasm. <laughs> a lot of the, hmm, I don't think what they were saying is correct. Statement. Oh yeah, well, it, it's sure. fair. Well, free. They're we're not supposed. We're not supposed to. I'm always wrong. That's actually right. like the best. The best point is largely I'm probably wrong-headed, easily confused, and prone to magical thinking, which is why <laughs> I can do okay in like RPGs. But like, this, it's not a good way to make a like truth oh, statement. Jesus right. fucking Christ! This, this sort of panel is in only for high horses that we can like throw pronouncements down from, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, this is not you know. I mean, I'm uh, always right, so that's the right. Difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is why I made. So, do please feel free to argue with us. But if you have a specific question or something that you would like us to argue about in the next five or ten minutes, you uh, this is probably your shot to do that, audience. So. I mean, this is why I made a game that's just an argument with the user. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go get discourse, and then just go try and figure out whether or not I made a game, and then yell at me. It's good. <laughs> it's very um, good. Well, uh, we're oh, excellent. We got one. Uh, so okay. can you give uh, one sentence that summarizes everything you've said in the last 45 minutes? <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, and actually, more importantly, I think as we do this, it would be great for us to share what are some of the most interesting elements of our respective traditions and what we're seeing in on the horizon. Okay. Uh, so, Darren, what do you think? What are What's some of the most interesting uh, work in your lump of the hobby. My, my lump of the hobby, the hobby right now. Uh, that's interesting. Um, I th most of what trad, I mean, it's very difficult to find a trad game, a new trad game that has not on some level 
kind of like adapted to you know the the local environment right that like story game concepts and and uh uh you know like art game concepts have trickled i don't know left on the spectrum right i don't want to say down but they've trickled across um to the point where a game that is like pure the only pure trad games anymore are either kind of like you know knowing osr twists on D D or you know our our I mean, like when when D and D starts doing a thing, does that mean it becomes trad, right? Like at that point, has it like it's been oh. kind of like folded into, uh, you know, the 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 structure, right? I mean, most uh, most trad games these days at least include something, you know, some uh, uh, story affecting mechanic, something that kind of like breaks the traditional immersion and allows a player to influence the world in a way other than an action by their character. Right, like like the 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 trad definition originally was, uh, you know, like I am inhabiting a character, I am immersed in a character, and this is what I do, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody else of the game is playing their characters, and then we have a GM or a DM who is, you know, like creating a world for us to interact with, and then story is just an emergent property, right? Like if we all play our characters interestingly and well, a story will happen, right? And we weren't supposed to pay attention to the story having any kind of like narrative weight or interest or literary merit on its own. Uh-huh. And we have pretty much ab- abandoned that idea, right? Like the idea that like breaking immersion is bad is almost been beaten out of of of, of trad games. To you know, at this point, there is like always some step in the game where you step back and say, "It would be really interesting if this happened. It would be really interesting." It would make a better story if we had this interaction. Uh, I, the GM, am sharing some level of, you know, like world building or or storytelling responsibility with the players. It's not all just on one person, right? Like, there's almost no trad games left that do that anymore. So I think there is, you know, like the 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 interesting thing is like how close we are too i mean there's so much crossover between these different kind of like schools right now that it almost feels like at some point you know like storytelling and trad may eventually kind of like merge right and then there will be these cool things out on the fringes out on the edges that are like still innovating and doing new things but what we think of that division is increasingly kind of disappearing between the two i mean all you have to do is have dnd say story um rules matter uh, <laughs> right, right. And then we just vaporize. Even even hero has story points now, right? I mean, even champions, uh, you know, uses story points now. That's not, uh, you know, that that would have been unthinkable thirty years ago, right? So, um, so on my end, I think there's a lot of interesting. So we've always been um, super interested in uh, divisions of GM authority. Mm-hmm. GM list, GM full, all sorts of fun stuff there. And I think asymmetric games, specifically things like Kingdom uh, mm-hmm. or Downfall or uh, or the like, I think those are super interesting. And I think that there's going to be a lot of really interesting development that comes out of that wing of story game 4G development. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Fiona. Um, God, I like go through things in my head and I have like a long list and I'm like, okay, I need to compress this into like one minute. So I'll <laughs> say 
innovations in the OSR that people didn't pay attention to. Uh, Michael Raston's Guilds of Infinigrad, which I think is just a beautifully designed document for generating guilds in what is very much like a biopunk-influenced semi-industrial contemporary. Um, and I'll also throw out uh, Logan Knight uh, doing sleeping... House the Feathered Swine. One, Logan does really good psychosexual dungeons, and I don't think enough people do psychosexual dungeons, despite the fact that, like, you know, uh, Bluebeard's Bride is a psychosexual dungeon crawl. It is sure. literally, yeah. in yes. many ways, an yeah. extremely trad game. Um, mm -hmm. There's not even a lot of rooms in the dungeon. You could stat it for BX if you really wanted to and just make this weird. But um, I think because it accounts for distance, it has like a very uh, noirish plot with trying to harvest parasites from sleeping owlbears. There's body <laughs> okay. There's armor that like touches you. Um, you mm -hmm. know, he's also got a thing that will release someday that has like you know all sorts of weird things in it that I appreciate. These are obviously things for adults. Please do not give this to a child, or <laughs> give Bluebeard's Bride to a child and don't blame me. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that like there's a lot of experimental design going on. I think um, watching people yell at Jared Sinclair is a good way of figuring out um, what's going on in design because there's usually a different thing people are yelling at him. Yeah. Um, and I think that the empty hex map in Anti Sisyphus is actually uh, deserves an any. So there, <laughs> I said something nice about another person. Very good. Uh. All right, I'll be, I'll be quick, and I'll just kind of rattle off a bunch of designers uh, <laughs> again. So um, there's, I think the wonderful thing that's kind of moving, and uh, somebody asked a question, was like, what do you think, what do you see on the horizon? So like, I, I'm going to take that moving forward, um, is uh, if you want to see some really fun innovation, uh, there's uh, Adira Slattery does really incredible lyric game work and also dips into just like various other wonderful uh, design ethoses. Um, similarly, uh, Taylor Labresh of Riverhouse Games, uh, I think Taylor has an incredible brain for design and uh, actively breaks down what, uh, like what people think are, uh, codified rules and then are just like, well, uh, <laughs> you know, like, what? um, so it like, these are great designers to just kind of get you thinking, um. You also want to check out uh, the RPGC people, um, specifically people like uh, Pam, uh, the Dove Taylor, um, uh, uh, God, Mahar uh, makes incredible games. Um, similarly, like kind of uh, if you read Mahar's work, it's a lot like reading like <laughs> just a manifesto, but you're like, it's also a game. Um, uh, there's incredible uh, other incredible designers that I'm trying to, Remember, I had them in my brain. I should have written them down. You can always throw stuff up on the, you know, on on, on yeah. the boards here or in the in the Discord, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, you could also just, uh, you know, throw up. Don't don't drop the idea because you can't think right now, say, right? Like, if there's somebody you want to, if there's mm -hmm. somebody uh, whose stuff you want to pimp, please feel free to do it on the Discord. Yeah, so. I'll I'll definitely do it in the Discord because um, I think like well the uh, the other one uh, I did remember another thing though. Uh, there's um uh, other like wonderful POC designers that you should just kind of keep an eye out for i think uh you have like uh, simon moody is an incredible designer who uh really kind of understands what it means to hack a system uh and make it interesting and talk about social commentary especially poc issues uh and so like there's people like this that i think is widely available now because of the itch scene and stuff like that that you can go sure. and check out um 
like trans designers, POC designers, people outside of the US are very accessible in it right now. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So why don't we uh, just go around and let people know where they can throw money our way so we can <laughs> recycle the same money within the community. Right. And hand that, that $5 bill around again. Exactly. Right. Uh, so my name is Jason Pitt, Genesis of Legend Publishing at Genesis of Legend. Uh, I'm on DriveThru, Itch, uh, and you can always sacrifice money uh, in my name. Uh, Darren. Uh, okay, so if you want to uh, reach me personally, especially if you want to hire me for work, uh, you can reach me on Facebook, Darren Watts, or on Twitter at, uh, at DarrenWatts27. If you specifically want to talk to me about conventions and that sort of thing, you can reach me at Darren at Dexposure, uh, particularly for this con, um, but also for the other ones that I run or co-run. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, let's see here. If you want to uh, you know, toss me some cash currently on what it is that I'm working for, you can come listen to uh, Explain This Comics Guys, the podcast that I am currently uh, running at explainthis.podbean.com. Oh, great. Um, I'm Fiona Babe. Guys, you can find me on Twitter at, at QuailingOracle, where I will probably be more or less hostile than you think I should be because I'm bad at reading rooms. Um, <laughs> if you have an independent game and you do not have distribution, well, not distribution, sorry, wholesaling, you should talk to me because I'm a purchasing agent and I would like to have more creative games. If you would like to support me financially, what you should do is buy more diversely in games so a market exists for more diverse games. Literally, just try games that do not appeal to you in the sense of they aren't things that you're familiar with or involve ideas that you're not familiar with. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I guarantee it'll change everything else you do, even if you never run the game, and that's in itself worth it. Um, there's been my bit where people will use words involving social justice to describe me, and that's perfectly fine. Um, I'm going to stop now while I'm ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can find me, uh, you, well, you can, you can find my work at vidityvaletti.itch.io. Um, you can also support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash vidityvaletti. Um, I don't know. I also stream on Twitch. Uh, I do a lot of fun things on Twitch. Actually, that has to do with this is like trying to figure out what the medium of live streaming could do for game design and like creating a game design like community. So like I'll would do window shopping. I did like a uh, a live design game show at one point that I really want to bring back. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'd, I'd say like check that out. Um, that's kind of it. <laughs> well, that's all this lively discussion, and uh, I look forward to more discussions and more cross pollination. And can I just Absolutely. like turn oh, my yeah. answer to Fiona's because that was badass. <laughs> uh, buy weird games. Buy and weird with that, Mike, this is true. Yeah, yeah. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Yell at me on Twitter. <laughs>